Let's grab your Bible and turn to the book of Revelation, if you would, please. The book of Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. <clears throat> Continuing on uh, in our series, taking a look at the seven churches uh, of Revelation. And we're actually in the sixth church, as Larry mentioned earlier today. La- next week is our last sermon in this series. It'll be pretty, uh, pretty fun to wrap up on that and, uh, and then head into the Psalms for the summer after our worship in the park. So you can start reading ahead. We, we'll finish this Revelation section, and then we'll head into uh, to Psalm um, 31, I believe is where we're at. 31. Larry, is that what I told you? Yes. Larry, there he is. He's preaching the first one, Psalm 31. All right, so we're in Revelation chapter 3. Uh, and again, we're, we're looking through uh, the churches, and these are letters from the Lord Jesus to the church. And one of those things we talked about is like being ready to receive. What is, what is God saying to us? What, is, what does he want us to hear and, and it's not just through John, it's th- this is Jesus. This is Jesus' letter to the church. And, and we ought to perk up and say, you know, I, I really do value what Jesus says, and I, I want to know his perspective, because I, I don't always know myself best, right? And, and I, I certainly don't know what's best, and, and he does. So we take a pause, we say, God, what do you want to reveal? And, and some of the things he's, he's revealed is the things he knows about us, right? When we started in Ephesus, he said, says, I know what and who you love. And again, as he reveals what he knows, that can be both encouraging and it can be condemning, right? Because he knows. But it's great when he sees your faithfulness and sees the effort and sees your faith. He's like, I know, I see that. Uh, Way to go, continue to hold fast. And then when he knows our heart and it's like, oh, our heart kind of is messed up, it doesn't feel so good. So he knows what and who you love. He knows what and who I love, right? The next church, he says, I know what you're willing to suffer for. I know what you're willing to suffer for. And this church was, was, being, was being persecuted and was suffering and people were dying for their faith. He's like, I see you. I know what you're willing to suffer for. On, on the opposite end of that, he, he knows what you and I aren't willing to suffer for. When it gets too tough, it's like, ah, I'm not going to say anything about Jesus now. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to live for my faith now because it's just too hard. This is coming from uh, a, a heart that says, I love Jesus, and, and he died for me, but I can't live for him anymore. right? And, and coming from the example of the church that said, I'm willing to die for him, no matter the cost, it's all about Jesus. So he knows what you're willing to or not willing to suffer for. Next, in the next church, he says, I know what you really believe. You might say one thing, but you're doing another. Or you accept another thing. Or you, you, you allow and tolerate things to sneak into the church that are of the world and not are, are, are not of the gospel of Christ. And that was the next church. Uh, he says, I know what you're willing to tolerate. I know what you're willing to tolerate. And we talked about a, a long, long and hard that day, right? The idea of, of, of the world saying we should be more tolerant, we should be more tolerant, we should be more tolerant. And Jesus says, no, stop tolerating that. He knows what we're willing to tolerate. And we need to keep our own hearts in check as well on what we are willing to tolerate, uh, certainly within the church and then without, uh, from without the ch- outside the church as well. Um, last week we looked at the fact that he knows the reality of our spiritual condition. This was the dead church, remember? It's like you look alive. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. I know the reality of your spiritual condition. It was interesting. I, I was thinking about this a little bit today in Sunday school as we were teaching through uh, 1 Corinthians. And Jeff was talking about this, this idea where Paul says, listen, you, you should be more mature. You should be on solid food, but you're, you're a bunch of babies. Right, and, and, and we went into the uh, 1 Corinthians 3 and about verse 4, 
talking about uh, the notion of, hey, we should be grown-ups and not, not divided and not in spiritual factions and not like, hey, I like it this way, you like it that way. This is how we've, all, we've always done it. Right, we talked about it last week. Like that, That's indicative of a dying church. If, if we do something because we've always done it that way, that's, that's not passionate. That's not exciting. That's not, that's not letting the Spirit guide our time together as believers. I think there are some things we can stand on as a solid rock, but that's first and foremost the gospel of Jesus Christ. So are, are we dead? Does, does he, he knows the reality of our spiritual condition. Today, he's, he knows something different. He, he knows whose kingdom you've committed to. He knows whose kingdom you are committed to. And, and he, he encourages this church uh, in Philadelphia. And, and really, you know, and the pattern has been we see an admonition, like, hey, you're doing something, or I'm sorry, an approval. You're doing something great. Then there's an accusation, hey, you better shape up in this area. And then there's like this admonition, this encouragement to do better and a promise. In, in Philadelphia, it's great. There's, there's no accusation. This, this church is the faithful church. They are the faithful church. So we will see only an approval and an admonition today uh, as our points, point one and two. Uh, we are going to be in Revelation chapter 3, verse, verses 7 through 13 in a minute. Uh, but let's talk about Philadelphia. Philadelphia means what? Brotherly love, the city of brotherly love. It wasn't named because they were loving. It was named because of who named it. Um, and as, as a namesake, right, and, and passing that, that heritage on. But it, Philadelphia was located uh, in a pretty strategic position. It was like the gateway to the east. And, and all these roads met in Philadelphia. And it was a great, great spot to say, hey, let, let's, let's share and talk and, and, and uh, share ideas and thoughts about religion. And people could share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then not only that, that, that could be a spread, a place that, that the gospel would then spread back to uh, the east. Uh, it was also referred to as Little Athens because of all of the temples that were there. And you think about Paul when he went to Athens and he saw all of the idols and all of the temples, all of the, uh, the altars that were built for all these different gods, right? And the conversations he would have. And then, and then he'd preach about uh, the, the, the unknown God that they claimed, but he, that it was Jesus, right? So there were lots of opportunities here uh, for them to share faith, to talk about faith issues, to talk about Christ. So it was a great place and a gateway for that. Uh, also, Philadelphia and, and the region around is on a geological fault line, and they were prone to earthquakes. Uh, it was so bad, in fact, that, that uh, in 17 BC, it was destroyed by an earthquake, along with Sardis and, and 10 other uh, cities in that region. Uh, and, and when it was destroyed, people obviously, they fled from the city, and they went out into the hills and said, we're going to live out here. Once the city was built, like, hey, come on back in. They're like, mm-mm, no, no, we are not going back inside that city uh, that such a tragedy, so, so many people died. We do not feel secure or firm in any way to go back there and feel safe. We're going to stay out in these lands, even if people think that's the, it's the burnt lands out here. We're going to stay out here uh, because the, it wasn't seen by them to be a place of security. Uh, there was no security, you could say, in the city of brotherly love. So that's kind of the, the start, the intro to, to, to the city, and it'll help inform some of our thoughts as we see this text. I'll pray for us. And I'll read our scripture, and then we'll, we'll get into it, okay? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be here today. God, we're grateful to worship you and, God, to, to bring you honor and glory because you alone are worthy of that. God, our desire is that you would examine our hearts today. God, help our hearts to be open and ready to receive what you have for us. God, that our, the eyes of our hearts would, would not be blind, and God, uh, the, the ears of our hearts would not be deaf to what you have to say. God, we want to be yours. We want to be found as the church in Philadelphia faithful. So help us, God, today as we look to your word, 
May it renew us. May it transform us. May we be more and more like you because of it. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Revelation chapter 3, we're reading verses 7 through 13. This is the church, uh, or the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close, because you have but little power. Yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. So today as we look at this church and what Christ has has said here, we're going to look at two things. Number one is the approval, and this is number one. Number one is this, you have kept my word and not denied my name. You have kept my word and not denied my name. Right, he says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, thus says the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, who closes and no one will open. He says, I know your works. He says, look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have little power. Yet you have kept my word and not denied me, or my name. So I know your works. You have, not, you have kept my word and not denied me. Now he starts here, and he starts out, says, write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the True one. Really important for us to see this. In Revelation 6.10, we see the martyrs. This is the voice of the martyrs who had, who had died under martyrdom, and they're, they're in their risen self now with Christ. And they, they look out, and they cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true. Right? Ones who had put their faith in Christ, who had tested that faith, and whose faith was not found lacking, but who died for their faith, were ultimately found to give witness and testimony to, yes, indeed, my faith has held in the one who is holy and true. God is holy. When Jesus says, I am holy, he says, I'm holy in my character. He's altogether right. He's perfect. He's pure. He's good. He's in his, in his character. It's in his words. It's in his actions. It's in his purpose. And not one thing is wrong with the way he lives or, or exists or what he does. He is uniquely set apart and nothing can compare to him. That's what he's saying to the church. Nothing compares. He says, I don't care what little gods you have in that city, what people worship, or what they think is right, or what is true. He says, I'm the one that's holy. I'm the one that's set apart. There's nothing that you will ever find that compares to me. And he says, I'm not only holy, but I am the one that's true. What does that mean? He is God. He is the God, not a manufactured God. 
Listen, there, there is uh, God in heaven, uh, the God, the God and, and Father uh, who has created everything. And then there are all the lesser gods who, who we have subsequently created, that man has manifested and made up. And they are all lesser and inferior and are manufactured and they are not God. When he says to the church, I am the holy one, I am the one that's set apart, I am the one that's pure, and I am the one that's true, he says, I'm the one you must believe in. There's no one else. There's no other name except mine. So he says, I'm the holy one, the true one. And he says, I'm the one who has the key of David. Now this sparks interest and sparks remembrance in them. I, I, I hold the key of David who opens and no one will close, who closes and no one will open. This is out of Isaiah chapter 22. And they would have remembered this and heard this. And Isaiah prophesies and it says this in Isaiah 22 beginning in verse 15. The Lord God of armies said, go to Sheb uh, Shebna, that steward who is in charge of the palace, and say to him, what are you doing here? Who authorized you to carve out a tomb for yourself here? Carving out a tomb uh, on, on the height and, uh, and cutting and resting place of your, uh, for yourself out of rock. Who, who, who authorized that? Who said you could be boss? Who said you could be in charge? Who said you could own this? He says, look, you strong man. You think you're strong, right? Uh, the Lord is about to shake you violently. He will take hold of you, uh, wind you up in a ball, and sling you into a wide land. There you will die, and there your glorious chariots will be, a disgrace to the house of your Lord. I will remove you from your office. You will be ousted from your position. Uh-oh. Right? So this is, they're thinking back. When he says, I'm, I have the key of David that I open and no one can close, and I close and no one can open, he's, he's, saying, he's quoting Isaiah. And he, and he wants them to know, like, this is, what, this is important here, that there are people who think they're something that are not something. And there is the one who is something, and, and he is something. And that's the Lord Jesus. He goes on, and he, he says, I'm going to remove you from your office, but on that day I will call for my servant, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe. Uh, and this is a shadow and type of Christ. If you went to look at this and, and kind of studied this with Isaiah 9 and just Jesus in, in himself, he says, I will clothe you with your robe and tie a sash around him. I, uh, I will hand you authority or hand your authority over to him. And he will be like a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. He's like, listen, I'm going to raise somebody else up that's going to be pure and, and going to take care and steward well. And he says, I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulder. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. Now, why say that? What does that mean to this church? This church who was oppressed in all kinds of different ways, who, who was oppressed, and we see later, from the synagogue of Satan. And who did Jesus say was the synagogue of Satan? It was Jews who, who thought they knew it and thought they were right and thought they had a birthright, but didn't believe. They thought they were God's people, and he says they are not. They're lying, lying to themselves, and, and thus lying outwardly. It's a synagogue of Satan coming and saying, you, you, guys, you guys don't have it right. You're, gonna, you're not going to endure. Your church is small and weak, and you're pitiful. All kinds of things against this church. And God says, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. They're, they're, not, they're not the ones I've given authority to. I have the authority. And, and you can rest secured in, in me. And, and see, what Jesus is, is telling them is, I have the authority. The, the door that I open, no one can close. So see, when you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we come to faith in Christ, that, that is a security that we, we don't accomplish on our own. It's a security that Christ secures in us. That our faith, in a genuine saving faith, it's genuinely saving. And that door cannot be closed by any self-proclaimed you know, Jewish elite, 
or religious guru. No one can say, listen, I'm closing up the kingdom to you. You can't go to heaven. Jesus is reminding this little church, this weak church, this persecuted church, that I hold the keys. They are nothing. I hold the keys. You can rest secure in your position and status with me. They can't close those doors. If I open them, they can't close them. If I close them, they can't push their way through. So in one sense, they're, 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 although they're being persecuted and, and those they're claiming to be this true Jewish community, they're not, right? That their citizenship in the kingdom of God cannot be in question. They, they don't question that. They can't question that. Christ reassures these believers that he alone carries the key. Now, the other part of this open door thing I think is uh, accurate is also uh, in the way that they have opportunities to preach the gospel. Remember we talked about Philadelphia being situated like in this gateway, this perfect opportunity. Lots of people coming and going to and fro, a lot of movement out of the city towards the east and from the east to the city. What great opportunities God put in this little church's life to open the door and say, listen, we're going to spread the gospel. We're going to share the good news of the gospel. So we see that the Jews are persecuting the believers, um, and they will also come to a place of humility. And that's, that's something we see in, in this passage uh, in, in uh, Revelation 3. Now let's, let's look back to the top here. He says, look, I place before you an open door, no one can close, uh, because you have little power, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. So they're still holding fast. He's like, listen, you're real, you're true, what you know is right, I've opened the door, you're in. He says, no, make a note of this. I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I, loved, I have loved you. It's an interesting reversal uh, that is happening here. Right? We, first of all, we see that the, these, these believers, who, who might be some Jews and certainly some Gentiles, are, are secure in their position with Christ in his kingdom because he has opened the door and he has the key and no one else can shut it. And they have lots of opportunities to share their faith, but their obstacles are in the way like these other so-called Jewish elite who want to mess with what's going on there. And, and it always happens that way, right? With opportunities come obstacles. That, that happens in our life as well. The church in Philadelphia had lots of opportunities to share the gospel, and they had lots of obstacles. Opportunities are things we need to lead into with faith, though, right? Here's what works. Unbelief, unbelief, doubt, fear will only see the obstacles. And, and as this church might have needed to be, uh, have to be pushed up, say, hey, listen, you're okay. I've opened the door. Keep going forward. Maybe they were waning a little bit in that, but, but they'd held tight. They believed. And we need to believe. See, faith sees opportunities. Unbelief sees obstacles. The church, you and I, not only the church of Philadelphia, but you and I should rest assured that because the Lord holds the keys, He's the one that's in control of the outcome. So what do we have to fear? Or what do we have to feel weak about? Nobody can close the doors if He keeps them open. Nobody. Fear, unbelief, passivity have caused the church to miss many God-given opportunities. And it should not cause us to do that. We should walk out of here in faith saying, God, we... We're not going to walk out in unbelief just because obstacles are in the way. We want to look for the open doors, the, the, the ways that you have, have opened for us to share the gospel and, and build relationships and build rapport that people would come to know Christ as Savior. I want to go back real quick to this, this bowing down. He says, I, I will 
make them come and bow down at your feet. They will, they will know that I have loved you. This, this last phrase, maybe underline it in your Bible, they will know that I have loved you. You see this reversal? This Abrahamic covenant went, went to Israel, right? And Israel was going to be God's chosen people. And as God, with covenant love, was on those people, all the Gentiles around would know that God loves Israel, would see that God loves Israel. And now what do you have? You have this reversal. You have these, these Gentile with some Jews in a church, but believing a believing church who is, who is having persecution from the so-called Jews or Israel. And what God says, now you, you are my people. And, and the way that I hold on to you and the way that, that you continue to walk through these doors and these opportunities, the way I bless in those ways will make them, Israel, know that I have loved you because you are my people. What a reversal there is, right? And that's what we should want too. As we go out uh, into the world, we, we, our lives should, should look like Jesus has a hold of us. And, and that, that they will know, the world will know that he has loved us. And that they might come to faith as well. There's lots of open doors and opportunities, right? Uh, Paul, Paul says, hey, pray for us that God might open the door to speak the word, to speak the mystery of Christ. And in Corinthians, we see this idea of weakness, right? This church is, is called weak, right? Because you're, you have little strength. What, what did that mean? It, it meant they're probably small and they, they're not substantial and don't have a lot of, lot of uh, ability to do big programs and big events, but they're just holding on to their faith. He says, it doesn't matter because what? When you are weak, then I am strong, right? Christ's power will reside in me when I am weak. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 12. God's strength is the one who opens the doors and gets the job done. We see these believers in Acts 14 also, uh, after they, they arrived, they gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them, and that he had opened the doors of faith to the Gentiles. Like This is what God is doing, he's opening up doors. You and I, whether weak or strong, we're afraid or not, we need to step through and say, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. He, he has the key here. And, and something is going to come of this. Now, you see this uh, read in this, in this verse, he says, uh, I'm going to make them bow down at your feet. Right? And they'll know that you love me. We talked about that. I'm going to make them bow down at your feet. This could very well be, I'm God. I'm going to humiliate them. I am going to abs- they're, going to, they're just heaping coals upon coals upon coals upon their head. And they are going to be humiliated. Or that humiliation could actually turn to humility. And that bowing, and, and really the, the sense of the text here and the, and the tone of the, of the language suggests that this is voluntary. They are voluntarily bowing down. They have come to a place to realize Jesus is the one who loves them, and we need to follow Jesus. So they bow down. I want to read a little passage out of uh, Isaiah 60. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness will come over the earth, and total darkness the peoples. But the Lord will shine over you. Think about the opportunity we have to be a light in the world. He'll shine over you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to your shining brightness. This is, listen, this is not a church who has it all together. This is not a church who, who knows the routine and knows how to be awesome. This is a church who is weak, but is holding on to Jesus, and he is their everything. That's what, that's what creates that shining out of the body of Christ, is humility and, and strength coming then from Christ. And later on it says, in verse 14, he says, The sons of your oppressors... After all this shining goes on, they're going to know. The sons of your oppressors will come down and bow down to you. All who reviled you will, fit, will fall face down at your feet. They will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. 
Again, there's a testimony to be had. We, we don't know what God's doing in the lives and hearts of people that we interact with every day, the ones that would be against Christ every day. All we know is that we who are of little strength rely on the strength and the grace of God as we walk through open doors, allowing Him to change hearts, allowing Him to proceed forward with the gospel because He's the one who holds the key here. So for you and I, what does it mean? That we should continue steadfast in faith and obedience, knowing that nothing and no one can separate you from Christ. Right? There's a security that, that you will always enjoy in Christ Jesus through faith in Him. And as small or as weak as you might feel, your opportunities and your power don't have to come from you. They come from Him. He's the one that opens doors. And we are the ones who step through and, be act, and act in faith. So his approval was, you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. Keep on doing that, right? Way to go, keep on doing that. So what's the admonition? Number two, final point. Hold fast to the one who holds you fast. Hold fast to the one who holds you fast. This is what Jesus is saying to them. Look at verses 10 through 13. He says, Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that's going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have. Hold on. So that no one takes your crown. Now, so important. I want to I just talk about a couple of these things here, and then we'll move on to the, the rest of this passage. Um. First of all, the one who conquers, right? We talked about that there. The, um, I, he says, the one who conquers, I'm going to make a pillar. That's in verse 12. It's so important to understand the one who conquers is the one who endures. The one who uh, is, is talked about in verse 10. Uh, you've kept my command to endure. What is that? It's not works. It's faith, right? It, it's not about works. It's about an enduring faith. It's not about a conquering works. It's about a conquering faith. First John 5, 5. To the one who conquers the world, uh, or who is the one who conquers the world? but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's who conquers. So you and I are more than conquerors who have believed and trusted in Christ Jesus to be our Savior, that He is our everything, that He is our propitiation. He died in my place and I have, I, I, where I should have died, right? But I put my faith and trust in Him and His shed blood, that He is the one who's mighty to save, that He is the one who can forgive and wash me white as snow. And because I have faith in Him and because He has washed me white as snow, now I am an heir with Christ, and I am a conqueror. I am one that would endure, will endure. So that's, that's what he says about those who endure. You've kept my command to endure. Uh, and he goes on, he says, I will keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Now, it's very important that we don't just take verse 10 and make a big deal about it today and stink because verse 11 is the so that verse. But I do want to talk about verse 10. Uh, and, and this is an eschatological book, eschatology, right? We're looking at, at the end times. What's, what is, has happened is what John is to write. What has happened, what is happening, and what it is to occur. And, and so something is, is being talked about here, and it's important. Let's look at this verse 10. He says, because you have kept my command to endure, because you have trusted in me, believed in me, because I have opened a door that no one else can shut, because of that, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. 
this is a, um, when you look at the, the idea of eschatology, and you think of end times. What is end times you look at? Some people say, hey, listen, we're, it's an all-millennial view, view. This is just all going on right now, right? We see it in imagery and, and ways, and th- there's some support for that, right? Then you look at the view of like, well, I'm going to look at the, the trib views, right? The pre-trib view or the mid-trib view or the post-trib view. Like, and what does that mean? If, if, if you're like, what are we talking about? Some of you love this stuff. Some of you are like, wait a minute, trib? What's a trib? Tribulation, right? There's this, uh, in, in Scripture we see in Revelation, which we aren't studying right now or this week or this year probably, but we see this tribulation that's to come, that, that there's a seven-year time period where there will be God's judgment and wrath upon the earth. And, and in, in a lot of different circles, people say, well, there's, there's really three views here. There's that God will rapture his church, take his church out before the tribulation. And we see that in different texts. In fact, I want to go there today. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, if you would, chapter 4. I want to try to make some sense. I will be honest right away. Um, I don't have this figured out. But I will also be honest that I lean towards a pre-trib rapture of God's church. Okay, and and yeah, amen. We're all like, yeah, please, God, take me out. We all want that. We should all lean that way, right? And if it's not that, then mid-trip, please, middle, like not. And then if it's not that, I guess the end, right? So yeah, we, we kind of change our view. But there is something important, a, a view we will hold on to that should be uniting in this. But I do lean towards a pre-trib rapture of the church. A, a couple of things to think about. First from our text in Revelation 10, or, or 3.10, it says, uh, I will keep you from the hour of testing that's going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. We've already seen language in the other churches where, hey, I know that there's something going on there. There's a hardship you are facing. Your city is going to face this. You are, uh, have mounting pressure from this group or that group. I'm going I'm to see you through that. I'm going to be there for you. We see that. That's not the language here. And, and, and this, this Greek phrase, to keep you from. He says, I'm going to keep you from the hour of testing. It means to keep you away from it. To, to, you won't be a part of it. Some people would say, well, no, I, I, it means keep you through it. Well, that's not what it says. That's not what the Greek says. It says keep you from it. And, and, and I get it. If I have a certain view of eschatology, I'm like, I think it's a, po- it's a post-trip. At the end, we're going get, to get rescued. Well, then I'm going to have to say that this is, he'll keep us through it. But this is a pretty genuine text. It says, I'll keep you from the hour of testing. The hour of testing. Now, listen, I'm not against being tested. I, I mean, I, Scripture is full of, of uh, verses and verses that say you and I are going to suffer. We are going to endure, endure hardship, and there's going to be tests for our faith over and over. We, we are not uh, impervious to that. And, and I think the American church thinks like, and, and in an eschatological view, you're like, well, yeah, it's going to be post-trib because we're going to have to really suffer. Do you not understand that our brothers and sisters all around the world are suffering right now? Way more than you and I are. Way more. Suffering is at hand, and you and I suffer too. We need to walk through doors, and we need to walk into adversity and say, listen, Jesus loves you. Jesus saves. Repent of your sin. Jesus is the answer. And, and we're going to be persecuted for that. We're going to feel that, whether it's in a public school arena or your work environment, maybe your family or, or other relationships. We will feel that persecution. I am not saying Christians have it peachy because they're Christians. We do not. We will suffer, and we will identify with Christ in his suffering. Remember Christ, the one who suffered and died for his faith. We just saw a church who, who was enduring persecution a few weeks ago. Someone died within that church. I'm not saying that we are going to miss out on the suffering. My position is this, that the, that the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world 
to test those who live on the earth is an hour of God's judgment. And when you and I are in Christ, there is now therefore no condemnation. That you and I will not suffer God's wrath and God's judgment. God's wrath and God's judgment was placed on Jesus Christ on the cross. And we have believed and received that gift, and now we stand justified before God. And so he will keep us from this hour of God's wrath and God's judgment. And I, now you're Brandon, well, you're reading into that a little bit. Okay, let's, we'll read 1 Thessalonians together. Because he says it, it's going to come upon the whole world also. It's not just a localized, uh, you know, the, the, the west side of Philly. It's, it's the whole world is going to have this testing upon uh, them. And so and, and let's go to Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read 13 through 18 and then jump into, into uh, chapter 5. You can go home and read more of this, and I, it, maybe you'll study, you'll, it'll spark a lot more study. That's good. So we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep. So they're asking, hey, some believers have already died. We're all waiting for Jesus to come back and get us. But what about those guys? Don't, don't be uninformed so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and he rose again in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Right, for we say this uh, to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. In the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Stop. Pause. Right? Let's talk about that. This is obviously an event that God comes and grabs onto his church. By the way, the elders didn't ask the elder question. Hey, what, what, tell us about your eschatology or, or when it, is the rapture real? Obviously, God is going to, to save his church. And we had, I think we had a great answer for that. Although I lean a different way, I still, yes, that answer is true. But when you look at this text, in the first part, he's saying, listen, there is an event. Something happens where, where we, are, we meet Jesus up in the clouds, up in the sky. He grabs onto us. And what Paul is saying, those who are asleep in Christ, who have died, right? And, and this, this brings up so much theology. Like, wait, do we not go to heaven when we die? We fall asleep? Uh, obviously, there's crazy things that you have to talk through. I view this as when we go, how long does a nap last? Like two minutes. Like, you, like wait, it's like three hours later and I was just, I, so when we die and fall asleep, it, it's like that, right? And, and to God, time doesn't matter. But, but for us, when Christ comes, those who have died before us, We'll, we'll meet God with a glorified body in the air, and we also will join them together. Right? There seems to be this gathering together, this collecting of God's church at that moment. It, it was meant and written here to reassure the church at Thessalonica that, hey, don't worry about the people who have already died. They're not going miss to the, miss the bus. They're going to they're get on the bus. So now it's about, like, what is, that, what is the bus timing for that? Well, in Revelation, it seems like they're going to miss or be kept from the hour of testing. So something there's timing there. If we go into chapter 5, verse 1, he's about the times and seasons. Brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them like labor pains and on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark, for this day uh, to surprise you, uh, you're not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. Now, this is interesting. We all think it's just going to happen real quick. A thief in the night, oh, no, we're gone. We, what he's saying is, you know he's coming. 
it shouldn't surprise you when he shows up, right? Yet you don't know exactly when and where and how, but you know he's coming, so it shouldn't surprise you when he shows up. It's like parents and children. Like, it's, like I, I thought about that all the time. Like, I, I knew my dad was coming home, and I probably shouldn't be doing the thing that I'm doing right now, but I'm like, oh, maybe he's not coming home. He said he was, but he's probably not. And then he shows up, and I'm like, surprised that now I'm in trouble. Like, oops, <laughs> you know? We should not be surprised. He says, uh, you brothers and sisters are, who are not in the dark uh, for this day to surprise you. For you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, they, dr- they get drunk at night. Since because we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of hope of salvation. For God did not, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us? So that whether we are able to, or we are awake or asleep, we might live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, as you already are doing. Now, now to me, that, that's really important. That He did not appoint us for wrath. The tribulation is going to be that. And as you look at the the, the signs and and marks and the, the um, plagues and everything that comes in Revelation, you see this as a judgment from God onto the earth. We we are believers, and I believe that as believers, we will not be here for that. I, I could be wrong, right? So if, if I am, then I hold a mid-trib view, all right? And, and about halfway through, about the peace and prosperity thing is about over, I'm, we're going to go. And then, and then at the end of that, I'm like, oh, then I'll, be, I'll just be a, a post-trib guy, right? I'll just be a post-trib guy. But, but here's what's really important for us. I'm a pan-trib guy. It's going to all pan out because God's in charge. It's going to pan out because God's in charge. And if we look at this, I want us to look at this in depth um, because I, I know you're probably feeling like, oh, I don't like to talk about this stuff or you might be wrong. Maybe, but l- let's, let's look at verse 10 again and then read verse 11. Back in Revelation 3. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that's going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. What is he saying? Here's what I think is the, is the basis of what we should really adhere to. If we sit here and fight about pre-trib, mid-trib, pan-trib, whatever, it's not worth it, right? It, it might be okay and fun to get into some discussion, but to stand there and die on those things is very, very difficult to do, Right? But here's what he says, and this is, he says, don't, don't, don't make it so that when he shows up, you lose your crown. First uh, John 2, 8, this is like the dad and son thing when my dad came home, right? First John 2, 28, so now little children remain in him so that when he appears, and, and didn't give the timing there, the date, right? He didn't say when he appears uh, to grab you before the wrath of God on the world. It, it, we don't know. But when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, see, again, there's no fear. He's the one that controls the kingdom. He opens the door. He secures our position in the kingdom. But I want to be faithful to the end. And I don't want to think like, oh, no, I'm shocked that Jesus showed up today. My stuff wasn't in order. I'm, I'm in the middle of sin, and I shouldn't have been. I should have grown up a little bit. I need to start that now. 
so that when he comes, I'm like, yeah, yeah I knew he was coming. I, you, you ready? Here we go. My bags are packed, but I'm, I'm still being faithful here. But I'm, I'm not ashamed of him when he comes. And that's his exhortation here, too. Be ready. Hold fast. Hold fast. And, and so you won't be ashamed. And he, and he gave him already the promise. Like, hey, listen, you, you shouldn't have to be ashamed. You, you are doing, your, your works are awesome. You have not denied me. And you're, you're stepping through the doors I've opened. Verse 12. Let's look at verse 12. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And my new name, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen, people were fleeing the city of Philadelphia because it was not secure. It was not solid. You know what Jesus said? In my city, you're going to never have to flee and go out. There, you will always be secure there. It will be a firm foundation. You will be like pillars there, solid as a rock. And you'll have God's name, and he will, he will possess and own you. You'll have eternal citizenship in heaven's capital. Let's talk about pillars and pegs. I want to go back to Isaiah 22 and just a reminder about the stability. Remember when he said, hey, I, I have the keys of David, right? I, I open and no one can close. I close and no one can open. He, he goes on with that, that story. Again, he says, I'll call out my servant Eliakim, uh, uh, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and tie a sash around him. I'll hand, a, hand your authority over to him. He will be like a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulder. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. Verse 23, I will drive him like a peg into a firm place. Right? What, is, what do God's people want? Firm foundation, solid footing, a bearing, something to hold on to. He said, he will be a throne of honor for his father's family. They will hang on him all the glory of his father's family. The descendants and the offshoots, all the small vessels from bowls to every kind of jar. He, he's saying, listen, remember how I wanted you to be stable and, and I gave you stable leadership? He says, I am that. I'm, I'm the Lord Jesus. I am that stable leadership. On my foundation, it will never, ever break or never go away. Because even with Hilkiah, as awesome as he was, guess what? He wasn't the Savior and he died. It went on. On that day, the declaration of the Lord of armies, that peg that was driven into a firm place will give way, will be cut off and fall, uh, and the load on it will be destroyed. Indeed, the Lord has spoken. Do you know what he's saying to the church? He says, I am that peg to hang on. I'm, but I'm a better one. I'm a more permanent one. Jesus is our lasting pillar, the foundation that will never, ever be shaken. There is security in Christ alone. And, and listen, we don't, we don't hold on to what doesn't last. We are not to hold on to what doesn't last. We are to hold on to the one who lasts forever. Paul encouraged us in the book of Ephesians. Now in Christ, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's that security bubbling up, right? And in verse 17, he skipped a few here. He says, he came and he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer, here's, here's what we are. We are no longer foreigners 
or strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. What are we built on? Well, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. That, that's our foundation. That's our firm foundation to stand on, to rest on, to hold on to. It says, in him, the whole building being put together grows into the holy temple of the Lord. In him, you're also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. There's, there's such a, a, a security in Christ. Listen, they, they are a faithful church because they're full of faith. They, they know who they need to hold on to. We must also be full of faith and know that even if we don't fully see Christ or completely get it yet or know exactly when the rapture is going to occur, we can still hold on to him. And he's, he's revealed enough of himself to be trustworthy and that he is good and holy and true. And the promise is that one day we will see him for who he really is. You see that he said there, he's like, I'm going to give you I'm, I'm gonna, you're, my new name. You're going to know my new name. It's like, wait a minute, don't we already know his name? Well, yeah, we, we know enough of his name to know, but when we are face to face, we're really going to know. He's in, in 1 John 3, John writes, Dear friends, we, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed, right? There's something greater coming for us in heaven. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. We don't even see the full picture yet, do we? But we hold on to Jesus because one day we will, and, and right now he's good enough. Can't imagine what it's going to be then. So what's my final exhortation to you? What's the final exhortation for me? I got a Psalm 62. We want to be the faithful church. We want to be a faithful wife or husband. We want to be a faithful child. We want to be faithful to God no matter the circumstance. Psalm 62, 1 and 2. We proclaim, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. That is the promise of God. So for you and I, hold fast to the one who holds you fast. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we, we're so grateful for who you are and, God, that you've loved us so deeply. God, we ask that you would, you would expose our hearts. God, we know that you know us. We know that you know our heart. And, God, we want to be found faithful. We want to be found faithful to the one who is faithful to us. God, when we fear or when we feel weak, that we would humble ourselves and rest in your strength and your ability. That, God, the doors that you have opened that we would step through because you have opened them and it's in your power and strength we walk through them. That, God, we would be bold to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's in that and through faith in Christ that we can endure. And, God, help us know that, that you are coming to get us. And, God, that when you do, that we, would, we would not think it was surprising and that we would not be found in a place where we would be ashamed that we would trust in you. Our hope would be in you. Our faithfulness would be to you. We thank you, and we offer you praise as we hold fast to you. In Jesus' name.